Welcome back to Down for the Count, ladies and gents, and it's time to talk about some predictions. SummerSlam is literally in two days, and it is time for us to have the conversation about who's going to go home with the W and who's going to take an L. So let's give you guys a little bit of backstories into some of these feuds, and I'm going to give you the predictions of who's going to win at SummerSlam. I'm your girl, Tiffany E. of Down for the Count. And let's get into this mess, honey. So let's start off with the non-title belts. Let's start off with Drew McIntyre and Jinder Mahal. A long history between these two superstars, dating back to the middle of the 2000s, where these guys were in a group called the 3MB. Not something that everybody would um, be proud to um, talk about. But fair is fair. They were in 3MB, and at one point, they were widely popular. But... Things happen, people get fired, and of course, people end up becoming champions and leaving and coming back and becoming champions. And now here we are, two men who are no longer champions and want to be in that title scene, but are adversaries at this point. Veer and Shanky and Jinder have been causing Drew McIntyre a lot of headaches. But in the last couple of weeks, he's been getting some get back taking out Jinder Mahal's goons with a chair, making sure they feared him and Angela, and thinking that he's a loose cannon and that he could actually kill them with this massive-ass sword that he's carrying around. The sword is named Angela, by the way. So, this past Monday, they had a match for the stipulation to their SummerSlam match. Whoever wins gets the advantage If Jinder Mahal was to win this match, then Jinder Mahal would be able to keep his sidekicks and Drew McIntyre would lose his security, a.k.a. Angela. If Drew McIntyre won, then Drew McIntyre would get to keep his Angela and Jinder Mahal would lose his security, Veer and Shanky. Drew McIntyre was able to come out on top and he won the advantage in this particular SummerSlam match. So who's going to win? Is it going to be the ever charismatic Drew McIntyre? Or is it going to be the cunning and slimy Drunder Mahal? Huh. Some of you are not going to like me for this. I'm going to pick Jinder Mahal to get the W on this one. I think with the way that they do stories, sometimes there should be a good swerve. Something that you're not expecting. With all the momentum being in Drew McIntyre's favor as of lately, most people are going to think that Drew McIntyre is going to win this bout. And why wouldn't he? Drew McIntyre is clever, he's cunning, and he's a great wrestler. But a lot of people underrate Drew Jinder Mahal and what he's capable of. Jinder always has some backup plan up his sleeve. And if you know Jinder, like I know Jinder being the slimy little bastard that he is, I wouldn't put it past him to be able to pull out a W over Drew. So I'm going to give this W to Jinder Mahal just because I feel like something weird is going to happen. Whether he cheats or he goes over clean, I highly doubt it's a clean win. But if he does, it's definitely going to be a a good swerve. Let's move on to the next non-title bout. You have Little Miss Bliss and her best friend Lily versus Piper Nevin and Eva Marie. Now, for a little bit, these three or four, if you count Lily, have been having a little bit of a bout with each other. Lily was making fun of Evolution and picking at the team for losing their opportunity 
to get the tag team titles off of Tamina and Natalia. And of course, Eva Marie was not having it, honey. I am the embodiment of the future of WWE. How dare she? And she used Piper to her advantage, as she always does. So she went to the playground one day and attacked Bliss and her little doll. And of course, this awoke in the spirit of Lily, who has since been tormenting Piper for quite some time. Piper seems to be generally afraid of Lily. And every time she looks in that doll's eyes, she becomes possessed and is literally controlled. The interesting thing about this story is that they have a way for this to work out where people could actually be invested. But if they go the route that I think they're going to go, they're just going to be a waste of a good character with Bliss, Eva Marie, and this whole situation. So... What do I think is going to happen? I think that Bliss will win this match, but I want them to make her win because of Piper. I want Piper to attack Eva Marie, take her out and become the living embodiment of Lily. And therefore she will then transition to being Bliss's right hand woman and evolution will have to fizzle out and die. Now, I don't know if they're going to do it my way, but I would really hope that they would. It'd be more interesting. And of course, we would see a controlled Piper Nevin, a whole new Piper. And of course, Bliss will be right there in tow, along with her little dolly. So we'll just have to see how this plays out. Final non-title bout of the night. It is going to be Edge versus Seth Rollins. Now, if you don't know the history between Edge and Seth Rollins, I'm going to try to make it quick. Seven years ago, John Cena was able to best the authority and dismantle their power over Monday Night Raw. He was able to take out all of them and make sure that they weren't causing all this havoc and putting pawns into place so that Seth Rollins could be the golden boy. Seth Rollins was very upset by that. And he made it his mission to get the authority back in power so that he had an ace in the hole. So how was he going to do that? Well, this particular Monday Night Raw, it just so happens that Edge and Christian were visiting the show. And of course, we loved it, right? You know, everybody loves Edge and Christian. Edge got attacked and was put in front of in the ring and was made to be a sacrifice. Seth Rollins made it very clear to John Cena that if he didn't reinstate the authority, that he was going to finish the job on Edge's neck and snap it right here with a good old curb stomp. Threat after threat after threat, and John Cena caved. Despite Edge being one of John Cena's greatest adversaries, he couldn't stand the fact that he would be the reason why Edge would no longer ever be able to walk or come into the ring. Side note, this is a story, okay? So don't don't be coming in my comment section or coming at me in the DMs attacking me. Like, Tiffany, you're fucking dramatic. I know I'm dramatic. I'm trying to give you the full effect, okay? Work with me. So John Cena had no choice but to reinstate the authority. And of course, we all were pissed. More specifically with Seth Rollins. With the cackle and the happiness and the kiki-kiki-kiki, Seth Rollins was... Happy that he was able to gain his power back. Now that was seven years ago. Times have changed. 
Seth Rollins has since turned on the authority and had been a face for a little while. And now he has changed again and transitioned into Drip Rollins, an older, cooler version of himself, per his own words. He's married, has a family, and as does Edge. Well, Edge always had one. But Edge has now come back nine years after being told he could never wrestle again is now able to come back and do the very thing that he loved. But underneath the surface, there was a little piece that really felt that he didn't get to exact the revenge that he so rightfully deserved. And of course, with Edge coming back, this kind of shifted the the focus from Seth Rollins back to Edge. And Rollins is a little bit unhinged by that. And a lot of people compare Edge and Seth Rollins in their path to going to the top And what people say is that despite the fact that Edge is the greatest ultimate opportunist and obviously one of the greatest heels in WWE history, Seth Rollins doesn't really come close when it comes to Edge and the tactics that he pulled. Well, you know, that sticks in Seth Rollins' craw. How dare you compare me to this man? I am obviously better. Well, Seth had one more gripe to hold against Edge. You see, Edge has had multiple opportunities to become the Universal Champion. Meanwhile, he's been regaled to the mid-card. He blamed Edge as a reason why he couldn't be champion. And his explanation is, if I can't be WWE Universal Champion, then you can't be WWE Universal Champion. Seth Rollins made it very clear that he was not going to stop until Edge didn't get what he wanted. So when Edge had his match at Money in the Bank against Roman Reigns, despite the Usos and everyone else coming out to help him, you know, Roman, (laughs) it was the final blow of Seth Rollins that cost Edge his opportunity against Roman Reigns. And this was the catalyst to blow the lid off of all of that hot boiling lava that's been boiling under the surface between these two. Seven years in the making. So now we have to ask, who's going to will out? Is it going to be the ultimate opportunist? The man who has created an entire legacy out of the Money in the Bank briefcase. The man who has usually utilized every tactic in the book and created tactics to maintain himself at the top of the heap when it came to championships and, of course, when it just came to being the guy in WWE. Or is it going to be the architect, the man who structures his career, patterns it, and makes sure that he is always in the limelight? And, of course, that title isn't too far away always within arm's reach. The man who always has a plan or the man who always makes sure he's the answer. Which one do you choose? I pick Edge, the ultimate opportunist. And not for nostalgia reasons, but simply for this fact. Since Edge has won the Royal Rumble, he has not won a major match on any pay-per-view. That was the last time we've seen him actually get a W on a pay-per-view. Seth Rollins has won multiple. And to be honest, Seth doesn't need this. The real way they should make this work 
have Seth Rollins lose this match to Edge and this be the straw that breaks the camel's back literally just makes him go overboard. Edge leaves feeling accomplished and he's won. Now, unless they're going to push this out to continue this feud past SummerSlam, this should be the end-all be-all of Edge versus Seth Rollins. And Seth Rollins should finally just crack. He should just literally crack, mentally crack right in front of us. And then they can build upon that. Turn Seth into a face and move forward with the next plan, which for me would be to put Seth Rollins on Raw and have him headline the show and send Beckola over there on Raw too. Mm-hmm. Forgot about Becky, didn't you? Now, those are all of the non-title bouts, all right? Rumor has it that Balor and Corbin are supposed to have a match at SummerSlam, but I highly doubt it. It seems like Balor and Corbin have gotten over whatever the hell they were having, and Balor beat him up like twice. There's no reason to go back to that. Let's move on to the next set of matches. We're moving on to the tag team division. So the tag team titles are being defended from both shows. The only tag team titles that are not being defended are the Women's Tag Team Championships, and that is because Natalia was injured recently. I believe it was last month, and she is now going underwent. She underwent surgery to repair the problem, and she is now recovering. So good luck and get well soon, Natalia. We're moving on to the titles. So on Raw, AJ Styles and Omos are your tag team champions, unfortunately. And Randy Orton just got back last week or the week before last. I can't remember. I think it was last week. And of course, Matt Riddle was thrilled that his mentor and his so-called bro has come back because he's been missing him and he loves him. Oh. Well, AJ and Omos, they don't give a shit. They beat up Riddle the week before Randy was supposed to come back. Randy got a whole standing ovation when he came back and was able to close out the show with a match against AJ Styles. Now, this all was leading up to this week where Randy Orton and Riddle would finally solidify RKO again and have a title bout for SummerSlam against AJ and Omos. Now, it all started, like I said, a week or so prior to last week when AJ Styles and Omos attacked Riddle and they continued to attack Riddle. Randy came back. Riddle tried to get them to be RK bro again, and Randy just wasn't having it. Now, he had his match with AJ Styles, which I believe he beat him. And of course, Omos was upset and tried to inter intervene in that match. Riddle was able to take Omos out and keep him from being a part inside of the match. And they were both able to best AJ Styles and Omos. Now, Riddle ended up taking an RKO for his troubles. But, I mean, he's a viper. What did you expect? Moving into this week's match was Omos versus Randy Orton. And, of course, it ended in a DQ due to AJ Styles' interference. They ended up reuniting in terms of RK-Bro, and they were given a title shot against Omos and AJ Styles. So who do you pick? I'm going to put my money on Randall and Riddle. 
I don't see why Riddle and um, Orton wouldn't be the tag team champions. This RK Bro shit is moving forward and a lot of people are enjoying it. And honestly, having the titles on AJ Styles and Omos doesn't do anything for the tag team championships nor the tag team division. And it really was just a way to keep AJ Styles out of title contingency for a little while. But now that he's going to be out, he can move on up and, you know, finish out his career and possibly be champion before he finishes out his career. You never know. Moving on to the next tag team bout. We have two family dynasties, the Usos and the Mysterios. Now, originally the Mysterios were the champions and the Usos were able to cheat their way into another championship reign. Currently, they are a seven-time tag team champion, and the Mysterios are just a one-time tag team champion. Father and son duo, Rey Mysterio, a highly decorated WWE superstar and one of the most respected masked luchador wrestlers in the world, and his son, Dominic, are running rampant in WWE as a tag team, for now. And the Usos have joined the dark side with Nino Brown and formed the CMB <laughs> and become the bloodline in WWE. One of the most dominant families and factions in WWE history, along with their big cousin, Roman Reigns. Now, we all know that the Usos can be dangerous on their own, but to have Roman's mentality and still be a dominant faction is scary. Going up against the Mysterios, it would seem like it's inevitable that the Usos are going to retain those titles. I would have them retain those titles just to see the Street Profits versus the Usos later on down the line. So as I said, I'm going to give the W to the Usos. I don't see how the Mysterios would retain. I think that this is the catalyst to seeing Rey Mysterio actually back away from wrestling and begin to allow Dominic to wrestle on his own. But we shall see. So that's it for the tag team division. Let's move into the main card. We're going to start off with the Raw Women's Match, which is a triple threat between the current champion, Nikki Ash, the former champion, Rhea Ripley, and the other former champion, the Dark Queen, Charlotte Flair. Now, we all know Charlotte went real rogue as of lately, especially going up against Rhea Ripley. It seems like Rhea Ripley is a thorn in her side, and she's not a happy camper when it comes to her. And now she's even more fixated on Nikki Ash, the almost superhero. She doesn't understand how this pipsqueak, this peasant, was able to best her, the queen, but she was able to beat you, Charlotte, and you held that title for yet another record-breaking moment of one night. It is inevitable that at some point Charlotte Flair would regain that title, and it is possible that it could happen at this SummerSlam. I'm going to go on a limb here and say that Nikki Ash will retain this title, and you're going to see the resurgence of Becky Lynch in Monday on Monday Night Raw. And when you do, that is going to be the catalyst to Becky's, you know, kind of working her way back into the big title scene. I don't know how this is going to play out, but I don't think that Rhea Ripley's going to win the title, so I think Rhea Ripley's out. I'm going to stick with my pick of Nikki Ash, but it very well likely could be Charlotte Flair who wins this title. 
Who knows? Am I invested in this match? Not necessarily. I like Nikki Ash and Charlotte bouncing off of each other. I think they play well with each other. I think they would have done better by booking the match where it was Charlotte Flair versus Nikki Ash rather than having Rhea Ripley added to this match. I think her being in this match is unnecessary and it really doesn't do any service to Rhea because it just leaves her out with all the story building that they did with Charlotte and Nikki. I just hope that it's a good match. Moving on to the next title bout, we're going to go to the Raw men's title. We've got Bobby Lashley versus Goldberg. Now, we all know if you've been following us for a long time, I have no love lost for Bobby Lashley. He's just not my cup of tea. And quite frankly, as much as I loved Goldberg back in the day, I'm not exactly looking forward to watching Goldberg wrestle either. But WWE chose it, and therefore we have to deal with it. So here's my quick assessment of Goldberg versus Lashley. Lashley has been on a tear as of lately, pretty much plowing through all of the roster on Monday Night Raw and been a dominant champion at that. You have to give it to him. But he's never had a man who matches his energy as much as Goldberg does, with the exception of Drew McIntyre. Goldberg and Bobby Lashley have a similar trajectory of how they handled their title reigns. They both utilized the spear. They both ball-headed. And they both were very aggressive and cruel to their opponents. To the point where, it I recall, Goldberg had to have a bounty put on his head to slow him down against Triple H. Because Triple H wasn't having it when he was in um, going. He was like, uh-uh. We're going to take him out right now. Ten grand to anybody who takes him out. Y'all remember that? That's a throwback. Go check it out. <laughs> Bobby Lashley, on the other hand, has a handler in his back pocket, which is like having an ace in a hole. MVP is a conniving, cunning little rat sometimes. And having him in your back pocket can be useful when you are a hothead and you go off at the drop of a dime. You need someone who's able to think his way through. And that's what MVP does. So who do you give the edge to? Do you give it to the old man who's come back and won many times and bested most of his adversaries? Or do you give it to the young man who's been running through the roster for the last year or so and he has an ace in the hole with a thinker in his back pocket? I'm going to give the edge to the old man. I think they're going to drop that title to Goldberg and all hell's going to break loose amongst the WWE universe. But I think that Goldberg's going to win. And when he does, this is going to lead to a series of matches with Bobby Lashley and Goldberg probably battling it out at Crown Jewel or possibly having another bout at the next pay-per-view, which I believe is Clash of Champions. Who knows? But I'm going to give the W... To Goldberg. Now let's move on to the fun matches of the night. The best match of the night, I think, is going to be it's going to be Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair Part Two. Now the history between Banks and Belair is pretty simplistic. Banks was champion on SmackDown this year, and Bianca Belair was the new hot young thing showing up on SmackDown. Now, we all know that Sasha Banks and Bianca headlined WrestleMania and made history as the first two black women to ever main event 
a match on the show. And that in itself is amazing, right? But that doesn't mean that they were best friends. It just means that they understood the historic nature of their match. And they wanted to make sure that it was what it needed to be. So there wasn't a lot of story building between Sasha and Bianca. There was a little bit of cattiness, a little backbiting, a little bit of smacking, you know, little little slaps and shit. But it wasn't a lot of animosity until Bianca started becoming the megastar that she is. And little Miss Sasha was sitting at home like, I know this bitch ain't leaving me in the back. I made her. I gave her everything that she got. And she gonna act like I don't exist? She ain't even going to give me a simple thank you. Oh, no, ma'am. I'm going to come back and take it from her. I gave it to her, so I'm going to take it from her. And that's what she tried to do. Bianca, on the other hand, is like, listen, you lost, honey. And I'm the future. You've had your opportunities. Multi-time tag team champion. Multi-time Raw and SmackDown women's champion. There ain't no way I'm going to pass up my opportunity. I beat you fair and square. And you just mad because the world sees me and they see money. And I've been demanding and taking over for the last couple of months while you've been sitting at home, I don't know, planning your makeup. Girl, if you wanted a match with me, all you had to do was ask. And Miss Sasha was not having it. Oh, no, ma'am. Sasha's like, bitch, ask. I'm the blueprint. I'm the boss. I don't ask for anything. I do what I want. And Bianca was like, oh, I know you ain't calling me no bitch. And that blew up. Now, of course, everybody was like, oh, this is what we've been wanting for quite some time. Yes, sis. Meanwhile, Sasha was like, I need to get a little bit of insurance. Now, a lot of people keep asking, why does she have Zelina Vega and Carmella out there? I'm going to answer it. Zelina Vega and Carmella both went up against Bianca, and neither one of them could best her. Carmella had more matches with Bianca than Zelina did, but neither one of those women could beat her. But if they're on Sasha's side and Sasha ends up winning, that opens the door for them to be able to go up against Sasha for that title at any given point. Because for right now, the door is closed on Carmella and Zelina for both of them against Bianca. See the logic? I help you win. You scratch my back. I scratch yours. Now for two weeks straight, Bianca has been getting bested by the boss using her own hair to keep her in the bank statement. Bianca has tapped out to the boss. Now, I will say that last week, Bianca did everything in her power to contend against the three of them, but she just could not best them all. This week is the time that it will show you where the women and the little girls really lie. And we're going to see if Bianca's going to rise to the occasion or if the boss is going to best the EST. My pick for who wins at SummerSlam is going to be the EST, Bianca Belair. No shade to you, Sasha Stans. But at this point, Sasha has solidified her legacy. And it's time for other people to be able to solidify theirs. Moving on. Final co-main event is the big kahuna. The big fish, the numero uno, 
We've got Nino Brown, the leader of the CMB, versus the leader of the hustle, loyalty, and respect. Johnny Boy, John Cena, versus Roman Reigns for the WWE Universal Championship. Now, this feud between these two men took many twists and turns. Roman Reigns was getting ready to cut a long, boring-ass promo at Money in the Bank about how he's finally went through everybody and nobody can beat him. Once again, he was probably going to stand there and be like, acknowledge me. And I'm going to be like, yeah, no, not going to do it. But he didn't get that opportunity because John Cena in all his green and glory came running out, didn't say a word, and literally stole the show from him. Everybody was talking about how Cena came back, and nobody was talking about how Roman won that match. Now, <laughs> this, of course, angered the tribal chief, got under his skin, got stuck in his crawl. How dare he disrespect me? I mean, I'm the hottest thing smoking in WWE. I can see why he would want to come back and come up against me. But you don't disrespect me like that. So, of course, he was he was a little tight. And when John Cena made the challenge for him to go up against him at SummerSlam, Roman declined and walked away. But Finn Balor came out there and made a challenge. And Roman accepted. Now... This led to a little bit of confusion. And everybody was like, what the hell is going on here? Nobody knew what was happening. But they were interested in how it was going to play out. All of us suspected that this was going to turn into a triple threat. John Cena versus Finn Balor versus Roman Reigns for the WWE Universal Championship. Well, WWE was like, er, pump your brakes, you little psychics. That's not where we're going with this. They decided to hold a obvious contract signing. And Finn Balor was getting ready to sign his contract after they cut their promos. And Baron Corbin's I will do anything to get myself back to where I need to be, head ass, decided to come in there and try to steal the opportunity from Finn Balor and become the number one contender for the Universal Championship. This caused a fight between these two men and Balor was outside of the ring fighting and getting beat up. Well, both men were fighting each other rather. John Cena, in the midst of all the chaos, came in and signed the contract, which guaranteed him the slot at SummerSlam instead of Finn Balor. Well, that didn't sit well with Mr. Balor either. He made sure to get a match with Baron Corbin to teach him a lesson about sticking his nose in his business. He made sure to call out Roman Reigns so that he could understand that he wasn't going anywhere and that he most definitely was going to be coming after that title. But first, he needed to deal with John Cena because the Finn Balor that was nice and happy to be here is dead. He no longer exists. This is the prince and I want my shot. Nino Brown and CMB came out there and just beat him down. They didn't even give him an opportunity to, you know, at least try to get some offense going. They just beat the hell out of him. And John Cena was pretty much nowhere to be found. This led to Finn Balor being gone for the last couple of weeks. John Cena returned and cut another promo against the Tribal Chief. These promos that were cut between these two men cut a little deep. Earlier in this feud... 
Roman alludes to John Cena being a broken record. Very much the pot calling the kettle black here, but I digress. He says that it's like always being in missionary, just constantly in the same position over and over and over again. It's boring. The way I see it, if missionary gets the job done and you got the right kind of pumps, you can be satisfied. <clears throat> Especially if you do it right. Hit the right spot. Boom, bang, boom. It's over. Not an hour fucking, you know, just just saying. Sorry, a little too much information. Anyway, John Cena responded that next week and they had a sparring of words. Roman doubled down on his missionary etiquette and, of course, brought up Nikki Bella, which is a point of contingency for a lot of people. But John Cena hit him with the one-two gut punch, baby. John Cena was like, oh, Roman, you're such a pampered, protected little boy. You are this big entity. Or at least you see yourself that way. You don't realize that you screwed up Seth Rollins. You ran Dean Ambrose out of WWE. And now because you have the machine fully behind you, you think somehow that you're this grand poobah. Like you are a blessing to us and we should be praising you for your mere presence. It's time that you get a dose of reality, chief. And I'm going to be the one to give it to you. He says, you may beat me at SummerSlam. You may beat the hell out of me. You may beat me down, tear me up, and I might be no good to nobody. But all I have to do is last down long enough to count one, two, three. And in all that, John Cena is right. We all know that John Cena has been one to be very resilient when it comes to matches in that style. Whether it be Iron Man, I Quit matches, Steel Cage matches, Elimination Chambers, anything where time is on your side, John Cena is always going to be have that edge over most of his opponents because he never quits. He doesn't give up. So who do you give the W to? Do you give it to the man who's been controlling the WWE for the last year and has taken over in every aspect, controlling who he goes up against and how matches end and start? Or do you give it to the guy who's been the guy in WWE for the last 20 years and has really dedicated blood, sweat and tears to the company and to the fans? Who is going to be our reigning king? Is it going to be your tribal chief? Are you going to acknowledge him? Or are we finally going to get back our hustle, loyalty, and respect? I hate to say this because I am a John Cena fan. But I'm going to give this win to the tribal chief. Nino Brown and the CMB are damn near untouchable. And the way that they operate under this odd guise of family, very much Vin Diesel with it. It's so ironic because John Cena <laughs> was in the Fast and the Furious as Dominic's brother. I, I hate to explain it. I'm not going to go into that. That is a lot. You have to give the W to Roman. He needs to surpass Cena. And Cena has a lot of work to do outside of WWE as of right now. Doesn't mean that he's going to be gone forever. It just means that right now isn't the best time for him to be champion. And that's okay. We can move on from that, bring in Balor as his next adversary. That's the best route for them. 
And I think it would lend to some fun and actually give Roman a run for his money. The best person to do that outside of Finn Balor is Seth Rollins. But I think Seth Rollins' fate has already been sealed. With all that being said, I hope you guys enjoyed my little fun rendition of the SummerSlam match card and the feuds that are holding it together. I hope you guys enjoy SummerSlam. If you're not a fan of the match card, totally understand it. But just watch SummerSlam. In kayfabe, no expectations, no opinions, and let me know if you enjoyed it that way or not. I'll see you guys in our next one and be sure to look out for our next pay-per-view where we answer some fan questions. We cover why the Hurt Business shouldn't have been broken down. And also Alexis has finally completed her installment to what had happened was a lesson in wrestling history. And she's going to cover the plane ride from hell. And I'm a guest. And it was such a doozy of an episode. Oh my God. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at DownForTheCount19 and, of course, on Instagram at D4TC underscore podcast. We're here every week trying to give you guys a little piece of sunshine in this shitstorm that we call the wrestling community. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Down For The Count, and I will see you guys next time. Bye! All right, so we're moving into part two of our predictions episode. So buckle up, kids. It's time to have the conversation, all right? So we are talking about TakeOver 36. And TakeOver 36 has a much smaller card, and it will be on Sunday night instead of Saturday night. So TakeOver 36 has, I believe, five matches Let's start off with the non-title bouts. All of these are mostly championship belts um, being exchanged. The only belts that are not being defended at TakeOver are Kushida's Cruiserweight Championship because Kushida is injured. And the tag team titles will not be defended because they were just defended this past Tuesday. The women's tag team titles are not being defended because... I don't know what they're doing with them. I guess they're waiting to build up JC Jaden, I think that's how you say his name, and Gigi Dolan and, um, you know, new NXT recruit Mandy Rose. I guess they're waiting to build up that faction. They still want to keep Robert Stone and Frankie and Jesse together. So they have a little bit of wiggle room to here, but the women's tag team titles are currently being held by Zoe and EO Shirai, so we'll just have to wait and see. Plus, Casey and Lacey are still there. They could actually drop those titles to them. But moving on. And the North American Championship is not being defended at TakeOver 36. It is going to be a six-man tag team match with Hit Row versus Legado Del Fantasma that week, that Tuesday after TakeOver 36. So those are the titles that are not being defended at TakeOver. Here is the titles that are being defended at TakeOver. And let's start off with Cameron Grimes and LA Knight. So if you don't know the story of Cameron Grimes and LA Knight, it's very simple. Cameron Grimes and LA Knight were both fighting to be the next Million Dollar Man champion, right? And Ted DiBiase had the belt. And of course, they had the match and LA Knight won. He was the Million Dollar Man champion. Well, Cameron Grimes was, you know, not exactly happy about it. 
but he made a big stink. And L.A. Knight was like, listen, you want to keep popping off at the mouth. The next time we have another fight, you have to be my butler if you lose. And Cameron said, fine, let's do this. I'm going to be the next million dollar champion. Now, in this bout, the win wasn't so clean with L.A. Knight. L.A. Knight cheated and he used the million dollar man's belt to do so. So, of course, Cameron Grimes has been masquerading as a butler for the last couple of weeks. It's been a month, I believe, since the last pay-per-view they had. But Cameron Grimes has stuck to his word. It's been an interesting ride between these two. They play, play well off of each other. Cameron is very charismatic and fun to watch. And L.A. Knight is very, very cute. Very fun. Also charismatic, very much a mouth almighty, tongue everlasting type of guy. And well, Ted DiBiase has been popping up every now and then, telling Cameron to be his own man. And although he kept his word and he lives by his word, he doesn't have to be some man's bitch. Well, L.A. Knight's been treating Cameron Grimes like a piece of shit for the last month. And so Ted DiBiase kind of got in L.A. Knight's head. He bet L.A. Knight that if Cameron Grimes can beat him at TakeOver 36. And L.A. Knight says, well, if he doesn't win and I win, which I will, you have to be my butler. And Cameron Grimes told Ted DiBiase, hey, don't do this. We don't have to do this. And Ted DiBiase said, I'm a gambling man. You're on. So the match stipulation goes as follows. Cameron Grimes will compete against L.A. Knight. For the Million Dollar Man Championship and, of course, his freedom. If he loses, however, Ted DiBiase will be L.A. Knight's butler. I don't know what Cameron Grimes is going to be, but Cameron Grimes will be still there, I guess. And, of course, L.A. Knight will still be your Million Dollar Man Champion. Now, if I had to be a gambling man, the odds would be in L.A. Knight's favor. He's already beaten Cameron Grimes twice on two different occasions. And, of course, L.A. Grind, LA Knight is a very crafty little bastard. But I'm going to say that finally Cameron Grimes is going to be what he's always wanted. Rich, successful, and the Million Dollar Man. So my money is going to go to Cameron Grimes to be your Million Dollar Man champion. And that's on L.A. Knight. <laughs> Let's move on to the next bout. So, we have... Ilya Dragunov and Walter for the NXT UK Championship. Now, this is a long feud, but Walter has been champion for well over two years. The most dominant champion in NXT history since its first champion, Mr. Pete Dunne. Now, Walter ain't never been no slouch, but Ilya Dragunov has been the only man to ever take Walter to his true limits. And we're not talking about just besting him in the ring. We're talking about two men so spent after a match that it took everything in Walter just to pin Dragunov. And it took everything in Dragunov not to kick out. That match with Dragunov and Walter is an instant classic. And if you haven't seen it, please do yourself a favor and go to the Peacock Network and go watch it. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. Now that that bout is over, Dragunov and Walter haven't met in person in a while. And for some reason, this little feud between Walter and Dragunov has been dredged up again. Now it's time for Walter versus Dragunov Part 2. 
And a lot of people have their money on Walter. But me, I'm putting my money on Dragunov. As crazy and as wild as it sounds. And even though the odds are in Walter's favor. Dragunov is the one who has the most drive and passion when it comes to this match. Walter just believes Dragunov's just some one-off fool who just likes getting his ass kicked. Whereas Dragunov truly believes that he can beat Walter. So in my mind, I'm going to go with the guy who has the heart, who has the guts, and who is crazy as cat shit. I'm going to go with Dragunov. Ilya Dragunov is going to be your next NXT UK champion. And to be honest with you, that's the smart way to go for NXT. We're going to move on to the next bout. Let's talk about Raquel and Dakota Kai. So Raquel and Dakota Kai have been a team for quite some time. They were the first inaugural women's tag team champions on NXT, even if it was just for an hour. (laughs) And they also have ran through the entire women's division with Raquel being the ever-dominant champion while Dakota Kai was constantly kicking off heads in the side to help keep her big mommy with that title. Now, Dakota has been slowly building up animosity towards Big Mommy. She didn't like the fact that Io Shirai sidestepped her and gave her title shot to Raquel. But she bided her time, and when they got the opportunity to get the tag team titles, that meant everything to Raquel. Well, it meant everything to Miss Dakota Kai. Now, Dakota enjoyed being a champion. She could settle for being tag team champion while Big Mommy was the big kahuna. But when they lost those tag team titles and they had an opportunity to get them back and she felt like Raquel dropped the ball on purpose, that was the beginning of Raquel and Dakota's friendship ending. Dakota had made it very clear that that was the catalyst that broke the camel's back and she was not having it. She made Raquel. Raquel was everything because of her. And if she decided that she didn't want to be friends with her anymore and wanted what she had, then she was well within her right to do so. Raquel, on the other hand, felt like she was her friend, but she was just waiting for the time. She knew that that Dakota was going to stab her in the back. She watched her stab one of her best friends in the back. So Raquel was like, I was just waiting for you to get the job done. Bravo, sis. You were able to get the best of me. You caught me slipping. But I guarantee you at TakeOver 36, Miss Raquel was like, that's not going to happen this time, Chiquita. You're going to have to work for this way. Sidekick. Well, little Miss Dakota was not feeling that. In fact, Dakota made it very clear that this ain't no sidekick. And she is the numero uno Chiquita in this pack. And as far as she's concerned... Raquel is simply just a footnote in history, the person who lost the title to her. Now, who do I think is going to win this battle? I am going to give this win to Dakota. And if WWE doesn't do that, they're fools. The reason why is because Dakota is the girl. Nothing against Raquel, but Raquel doesn't have the personality and she needs a sidekick to make her relevant. That's not me shitting on Raquel. That's just me telling you the truth. The reality is that Dakota has the personality, despite the fact that I'm not a big fan of Dakota's either, but she's the one who can carry NXT into your next phase. And she doesn't have to be champion long if you plan on pulling her up to the main roster. 
just keep her as champion until your next takeover. Have her drop it to Frankie or have her drop it to Mandy Rose or you can have her drop it to Zoe Starks. Or you can even have her drop it to Zia Lee. Whichever works for you. Either way, Dakota needs to be the one ushering in the new era of NXT. And now we're going to move on to the next bout. Final title bout. It's Samoa Joe versus Karrion Cross. Now, this bout started a few months ago. Samoa Joe was brought back to the homeland of NXT after being released by the big man WWE. He was brought in as a liaison for our ever-present William Regal, the GM of NXT. William had lost control of NXT. Everyone was fighting and backbiting and no one was being respectful of the rules. From Johnny Gargano to Pete Dunne to Adam Cole to Karrion Cross, everything was out of control. So Samoa Joe was brought in to cause order and to keep the chaos from blowing up NXT. Well, Karrion, Karrion didn't like that. Karrion is like, this is my world. I created this chaos. I thrive in this chaos. I live for this chaos. And I'm not going to let some has-been come in and take my spot. So Karrion made Mr. Joe his number one target. Despite the fact that he's the champion and has the target on his back, he was fixated on Joe for some reason. Now, he had a match in the ring, and he won fair and square. But throughout the match, he was taunting Joe, really getting under his craw. And the first time Samoa Joe and Karrion Cross crossed paths, Samoa Joe made it very clear that he didn't intimidate him and he wasn't afraid. Samoa Joe also bitched him out on national television, which I'm sure Cross was not feeling. So, when the match was over and Cross retained his title, he choked Samoa Joe out. And that, my friends, began the new road back to NXT wrestling with Samoa Joe. Now, Joe hasn't been in the ring for quite some time. Might be over two years that we've seen Samoa Joe actually wrestle. But once Karrion Cross put his hands around his throat and choked him out, I knew Samoa Joe was ready to come back and clear to go. And that very next week, Samoa Joe came back, put in his resignation, and was told that, told William Regal that he was done being the enforcer and that he wanted to be a wrestler on the roster and he wanted Karrion Cross for that NXT championship. And while Regal was hesitant to give Samoa Joe what he wanted, his hand was forced when Karrion Cross attacked William Regal and took him out. That is when all hell broke loose, and Samoa Joe was consistently looking for Karrion Cross. And no matter what Karrion Cross did, going to the main roster to wrestle, to win and to lose as the NXT champion, and coming back to NXT and taunting Samoa Joe, Samoa Joe's obsession with carrying cross never faded and he was just waiting constantly for the right time Samoa Joe and carrying cross finally had their meetup after weeks of dodging carrying dodging Joe carrying finally showed up and was face to face with the ever <laughs> always ready to explode Samoa Joe 
this conversation between these two lasted for maybe two minutes. And it exploded into a massive fight between the two of them. Damn near destroying the NXT arena. They were going through barricades and plexiglass like it was crazy. I expect this match between Samoa Joe and Karrion Cross to be volatile. But I also expect Samoa Joe to be the first ever three-time NXT champion. And Karrion Cross can go on his merry way, moving on to the main roster and doing what he does best. I'm going to put my money on Samoa Joe. And he's going to be your new NXT champion. Moving on to the final bout of the night. The reason why we put Cole and O'Reilly last is because, one, they have a very long history with each other. Working with each other in Undisputed Era to dominate NXT for the last four to five years, Cole and O'Reilly seemed to be an inseparable pair. And it seemed like their friendship was going to last forever, that nothing was going to tear them apart. But something did. For whatever reason, a flip switched in Kyle O'Reilly's mind. And he just was tired of the same old Undisputed Era ways. Adam Cole had lost his championship. And he kind of felt like he wasn't the guy at the top of the mountain anymore. Finn Balor was the champion at the time. And he couldn't get that title back off of Balor. No matter what he did. And O'Reilly had had two shots at the title. And I think what happened with Cole mentally was that he felt like O'Reilly had started to feel himself a little bit and he wanted to knock him down a peg or two. The moment that Kyle O'Reilly went out to help Finn Balor and extend his hand to have him join the Undisputed Era was the moment that he sealed his fate as an enemy of Adam Cole. Adam Cole felt like he was the only one who could ask anyone to be in his faction. This was his group. This was his brainchild. Without him and his prophecy, Undisputed Era would be nothing. And Kyle O'Reilly overstepped his bounds. So Adam Cole kicked him down a peg or two. And that was the beginning of the <laughs> animosity and hatred to brew between Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. Kyle O'Reilly made it very clear that he hated the way that he was when he was in Undisputed Era. That after he broke free from that hold that Adam Cole hold, held on him, he felt free. And he finally saw how Cole really is. He was selfish, self-absorbed, narcissistic, and delusional. And he wanted to prove that he was just as good, if not better, than his so-called leader, Adam Cole. Well, Adam Cole, the ever-arrogant and charismatic leader of Undisputed Era, made it very clear that he is better than everyone. And there's nobody who's like him. And even though Kyle O'Reilly may try to be a main eventer, he just doesn't have the chops. And Adam Cole made it very clear that he was going to bury him and end him for good. Because once he says Undisputed Era is dead, he means it. Now in the meantime, you had Roderick Strong trying to maintain the Undisputed Era. But Adam Cole made it very clear that it was dead. And Roderick, he bolted. Only to come back under Diamond Mine with Malcolm Bivens. But Cole and O'Reilly were still battling it out. 
running each other down on the road, popping up at their training facilities, and even so much as fighting in the back every single week until they had their own sanctioned match, in which Cole ended up losing. Kyle O'Reilly was able to best him at his own game. So Adam Cole proposed that he and Kyle O'Reilly have a traditional, straight-up, one-on-one match because he knew with the rules in place, And with him being at the top of the mountain, Kyle O'Reilly couldn't beat him. And well, he was right. Adam Cole beat Kyle O'Reilly. And now they're one and one. Instead of them just leaving it at that and moving on, Adam Cole was obsessed with making sure Kyle O'Reilly was still in the dumps and never climbed out. So every chance they got, they attacked each other. Kicks, body slams on the fucking steel steps, and everything they could think of to destroy each other. It got to the point where Cole had to be choked out by the enforcer Samoa Joe in order for them to calm down. This was the catalyst to William Regal setting up Cole and O'Reilly 3. The final stage in this feud between two former best friends. How is it going to play out? This past Tuesday, Mr. Regal made it very clear that he wanted a definitive winner in this fight and there was going to be no stone left unturned. We have a three stages of hell match in which they call a two out of three falls. One match is chosen, a match stipulation is chosen by each competitor and if necessary, the final match will be chosen by the GM, Mr. William Regal. Well, Our ever-ready Kyle O'Reilly chose a traditional straight-up match for the first bout, which I suspect Kyle O'Reilly will win. In the second bout, Adam Cole chose a street fight because he doesn't want to go to three. He's going to make it very clear with the first match and the second match that Kyle O'Reilly is gone and he will no longer be a thorn in his side. And they started to fight. William Regal said that the two will finish out this fight in a steel cage. And whoever wins is finally the victor and the feud is over. So who do you choose to be the victor in Cole versus O'Reilly? I'm going to give the win to O'Reilly. He's the one who needs it. And Adam Cole, well, we all know the situation with Adam Cole. I'm going to give this W to O'Reilly. This will catapult O'Reilly to the forefront and possibly put him back in title contingency. And if Samoa Joe is champion, hopefully this works out in O'Reilly's favor. You guys let me know what you think about the feuds and all of the matches that are happening at NXT TakeOver 36. I hope you guys enjoyed my little trip down memory lane. And I will see you guys in our next one. Make sure you follow us on social media at Down for the Count 19 on Twitter and at D4TC underscore podcast on Instagram. Make sure you look out for our next podcast. We're going to be answering some fan questions. And of course, we're going to be covering the Hurt Business and why they were broken up and why we thought it was a massive mistake. We also finally started back up with our wrestling history segment with Alexis. And I'm going to be a featured guest. Because we're going to be talking about the playing ride from hell 
and all of the shenanigans that went along with it. It was such a doozy. This is a really good episode. Also, we have another episode coming up with the podcast. And we're going to be covering all of the shows that has happened this past week. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.